0: your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 16, but we'll take a running start at verse 1. This is the Word of God. It is without error. It will never lead us astray. It's our rock and our foundation. And this is what we believe and teach. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again... <clears throat> So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Father, we have just lifted our voices in song and in prayer And pleaded with you that you would show us Christ. Lord, will you open our eyes to to see your goodness and greatness in this word this morning? Will you open our ears that we may hear your word? Will you open our hearts that we may obey it? Will you open my mouth, Lord, that I may proclaim it? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bind them all, and in the darkness, bind them. Some of us know that phrase, poem is taken from Lord of the Rings, a fiction trilogy written by the great author J.R.R. Tolkien. And in Lord of the Rings, there's a ring that is the one ring of power. With engraved that poem upon it. The whole trilogy is about this battle, ongoing battle between light and darkness for those who want to possess this ring of power. Tolkien creates a character in Lord of the Rings called Smeagol, whose name is later changed to Gollum. And in a scene, his cousin actually finds the ring. But Smeagol wants it. He sees the ring, he desires it, he covets, he envies, he, he hates, and he murders to possess the ring. Or does the ring possess him? The ring that Tolkien creates in his fiction novel, Lord of the Rings, is an apt, Illustration or symbol of sin. That which we desire, that which we want, that which we covet and go after, sometimes, most times, all the time, ends up possessing us. Gollum is an apt representation of Cain. You see, Gollum is fiction. And so is the one ring, but Cain is real, and so is sin. And today, brothers and sisters and friends, we would do well today to pay sober heed to our passage, and our prayer should be that we have sensitive, soft hearts to the Word of God this morning, and these three elements that we're going to derive from this passage. The questions, number one number two, the curse, and number three, the consequence. So let's get started. Number one, the questions. Our passage begins, really, there there are two questioners in our passage. God questions Cain, and Cain questions God. So first we begin with God questioning Cain. In Genesis 4, 9, after Scripture has revealed that Cain has murdered his brother, We read of God's confrontation of Cain. The Lord says to Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel your brother? Now the Lord, of course, knows where Abel is. He knows full well what Cain has done. But the question there is to to draw the sin out into the open. To provide opportunity for Cain to repent. Such questioning of Adam and Eve... In the garden, provided opportunity also for them for, for confession and repentance. Remember, as God walked through the car garden, He says, where, where, you know, Adam, where are you? Does God know where Adam is? Yes, of course He does. Does God know what Cain has done? Of course He does. But like a, a loving father who comes and sees the crayon marks behind the couch with the toddler and says, what happened over there? <laughs> he knows what happened. His wife, in a fit of rage, didn't grab the crayon and, and color behind the couch and say, Take that, <laughs> right? Hopefully, it wasn't the 18 year old who's home from college. No, it's the toddler, probably. And the toddler stands there with the crayon behind his head and says, What? <laughs> I didn't do anything. No, God is in loving mercy and grace. Calling out to Cain and asking, Where's your brother? and giving him an opportunity to confess and repent even then. I can remember as I was writing this sermon, I reflected back to a, a first grade Kevin in a little town called Pottsboro, Texas, my school there, and I was on the playground and I, I saw something on the playground. It was bright and shiny and sparkling, and I went over and I looked and there was a necklace a little gold necklace and i picked it up and as i was picking it up and looking at it a little girl said hey that's my necklace i dropped it and i said no it's not it's mine <laughs> like gollum in lord of the rings it's mine precious <laughs> this is mine and she went and she told the, the teacher kevin took my necklace and she said kevin is that isn't that you know the little girl's necklace i said no it's my necklace. And she brought me in and had me stand before her. And she said, "She said, uh, you know, isn't this her necklace? No, no, I insisted. I insisted. With every, all I had in my little first grade, you know, Peabody brain, I, this is my necklace. It's mine. And she says, okay, so what we'll do is both of you will go home and get a note. Bring a note in tomorrow because I'm not sure whose necklace it is. Bring a note in to say whose necklace it is. I went home that day. The teacher was holding on to the necklace. I knew I was going to be asked the next day, and I got a little piece of paper and a big number two pencil. And I remember standing, my mom is cooking, and I'm saying, Mom? Yes, as she's washing dishes or cooking in the kitchen. How do you spell necklace? Why do you want to know? No reason. And she's like, okay, -E 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 e e." The next day, I bring the note <laughs> that I have written and I hand it to the teacher thinking this is going to solve the whole thing. She looks at it and I can, I, can, I can just vision. I see her even in my mind looking at it with, with, with a heart of love and, and softness toward me. And she looks and she says, she goes, Kevin, who, who wrote this note? And I knew, oh, no. I said, Oh, that note? I think it was my sister. She's like, What, your sister? (laughs) My sister was like three years old. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes she writes notes and she puts them in my pocket. (laughs) At this end, I'm I'm at the end of my story, and she says finally, Kevin, is that really your necklace? You know, and I finally burst into tears, you know, and say, no, you know, I I, I just found it. But isn't that the way of sin? Isn't that the way of sin? We're caught. Our father, God, comes to Cain and says, tell me the truth. Where's your brother? And he tells a lie and another lie and another lie. Isn't that the way we are as well? We're a lot like Cain, aren't we? You see, his defiance continues. He answers, am I my brother's keeper? He responds defiantly to his creator. John reminds us in his first epistle, 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But like his fallen parents, Cain stubbornly refuses and he rebels against his creator. Cain also questions God. When God asks him these questions, he says, he first lies and then then he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? After his refusal and refused to repent, he adds lying to his sin of murder, only compounding the treachery of his act. And reveal, revealing the depth of his depravity, he says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? God could have easily said, no, you're not your brother's keeper. You are your brother's killer. That faithful question, faithful question, faithful question am I my brother's keeper? His rhetorical question betrays his cold selfishness and utter disregard for his brother. However, Scripture clearly answers Cain's question with a resounding, yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. Brothers and sisters, you are your brother's keeper. As Christians, we are called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ bear someone else's burdens, come alongside them, pick those things up because they can't carry them on their own. How many times have you been in a time of of suffering, a time of of, of crisis, and you felt like, I can't carry this, and someone, a, a, a godly sister calls you, a godly brother pulls you aside and says, let me help you bear that burden. Let me pray for you. Let me hug you. Let me just listen to you. We are members of one body in Christ. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. This love and care for others reflects Christ's sacrificial love for us. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. As John MacArthur explains, he says this love always seeks to meet another's highest good. We defend others because Christ first defended us from sin and death by taking our punishment on the cross. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that we have a moral obligation to care, to bear burdens to suffer to honor to defend our brothers and sisters in Christ and this individualistic mindset of Cain flies in the face of God's call for the church to live as one body unified in love when we ask am i my brother's keeper scripture res- responds with a resounding yes <laughs> am i my brother yes yes you are your brother's keeper yes You are your sister's keeper. Yes, we are there to to care for each other, to love each other, to help each other. We love because He first loved us. And then God asks in verse 10: It says, And the Lord said, What have you done? Cain's hardened heart spits out, Am I my brother's keeper? back to his creator, then God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What have you done? It illustrates God's omniscience. He knew exactly what Cain had done, even though no other human witnessed the act. God sees and knows everything we do, even the hidden sins that others don't see. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah 1.5, Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before I begin to even say something, before I even think it, you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm thinking The author of Hebrews also said, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Even if we think that we're going to get away with sin in this life, the Bible says it will eventually catch up with us. As Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. Cain was under the false impression that nobody would find out. What he did since he killed the only witness. But he underestimated God's omniscience and justice. Listen again as I read these passages again. And may the terror of the omniscience of God rest in your heart. Before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Be sure your sin will find you out. Brothers and sisters, There is always a witness. There is always a witness. In the dark of your night, somewhere on one side of town or the other, in the secrecy of your closet, down in Mexico, Over in Las Vegas, wherever you go, wherever you are, God is there. Should you be afraid? Yes, I use the word terror. God knows, God sees. And as a loving father, he's there to watch over and protect us for those that he loves, who he's called according to his purpose. Don't be like Cain. When God says, what have you done? Say, I picked up a necklace on the yard that wasn't mine and I put it in my pocket. I took something that wasn't mine because it was shiny and pretty and I wanted it. Learn, brothers and sisters. Learn from Cain. Learn from Cain. It's a sad account here. It's true tragedy. Not only is it true that not only will Cain not help because he says he's not his brother's keeper, but he will hurt. This scripture demonstrates to us the depth of human depravity. As Romans 3 declares, there's no one righteous, no one who seeks after God. Listen to Romans 3, 9 through 18. What then, are we Jews any better off? As Paul is speaking there, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. When Paul says, both Jews and Greeks, who is he leaving out? Who is he leaving out? No one. (laughs) You're either Jew or you're Greek. Jew or Gentile, all are under sin. He goes on, he says, "None, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you see Cain in that picture? No fear of God. The God of the universe is asking him, interrogating him, questioning him, calling him to repentance. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Left to ourselves, we will always choose to satisfy our pride rather than humble ourselves and repent. Cain illustrates well the truth that the sinful mind is hostile to God and refuses to submit to his ways such rebellion will inevitably bear the fruit of more sin. Only the restraining grace of God prevents the rest of mankind from generating into utter chaos and destruction. So it brings us to number three, the curse of Cain. God pronounces a curse on Cain, impacting all that Cain has contact with. He says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Not only is Cain cursed, but the very ground itself then is going to refuse fruitfulness to him. Just as Galatians 6, 7 warns, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows... That will he also reap. Cain's sin brings barrenness and hardship as he reaps the ruin of what he has sown. Many of us, most of us here probably, who have been in the Lord for a while, can look back and realize there's real truth in that passage, isn't there? You will reap what you sow. We're not talking about needle and thread, are we? (laughs) we're talking about putting seeds in the ground. And some of us in our youth not only put the seeds in the ground, we fertilized it and we watered it and we tilled around it to help that sin grow and flourish. Don't be mocked. God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And so he's saying, look, for those of us who are young in the Lord, those of us who are older will say, hey, look, I want you to have a very, I want my son to have a very boring testimony. <laughs> okay? I used to go to these youth rallies when I was a young man, right? And you'd show up, and that we all sing the songs and do all this stuff, and then some guy would get up who was a, you know, professional football player or something, and and he would tell me, I'd tell all these stories about when he was a crack addict, and he used to go to stripper bars and drive a Harley and say the f word 42 times a day, and and to have all this crazy thing. And then he almost, you know, died because of an overdose, and then he came to, and someone preached the gospel in the hospital, and he came to faith, and you're like, wow, that's an awesome testimony. That's an awesome testimony, right? I wish I had a testimony like that. No. (laughs) No, you don't. What a man reaps, what a man sows, he will reap. So our prayer for our our sons and our daughters here in this church, right, is our children will listen. They'll learn. You can learn from Scripture and not repeat the, the mistakes of Cain. Scripture is given to us to warn us, to help us. We don't have to experience these things to learn from them. We can learn from the experience of others, the testimony of others, and I praise God for those testimonies I heard as a young man at these youth rallies. So we need to learn as well, don't we? Cain has the audacity to question the Almighty regarding his punishment. This is amazing. We were going over this, uh, riding in the car, and I was riding with Hayden, and Hayden was so incensed because he's like, he's like, and then you, I mean. Where does he, you know, what is going on with Cain that he actually gets bitter and upset by what's going to happen to him? Why doesn't he just say, God, you should kill me now? This is what justice requires for the murderer to be murdered, or not murdered, for the murderer to be executed. Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Faced with the consequences, Cain's com- he complains bitterly with no remorse over his brother's murder. There's remorse there that's in Cain's voice, but who's the remorse over? Over himself. I got caught. I got found out. And now poor me. What a contrast to David who pleads for mercy and cleansing, crying out in Psalm 51, 1 to 2. David cries out, have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love. He doesn't say have mercy on me according to my wonderfulness. Have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. Why? Because of your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David's heart breaks and contritely repents acknowledging that he deserves punishment but Cain persists and is proud in his proud impenitence brings us to the consequences in his judgment God declares Cain will no longer enjoy his presence as we read in Genesis 4:14 4, Cain says himself behold you have driven me away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden Cain is exiled receiving the ultimate consequence banishment from fellowship with God. Hell itself is described as eternal separation from God's loving presence. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And notice here we've said it's, it's from God's loving presence. Be reminded Brothers and sisters, what makes hell hell is the absence of God's loving presence, but the presence of God's wrath. God is what makes hell hell. Can you imagine to be in the presence of only? the wrath of God for all eternity because you have turned your back on him? Cain is a picture of being pushed out, being exiled, being banished away from the presence of God. This alienation from the Lord should produce godly sorrow that leads to repentance. As Isaiah 59.2 laments, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Yet Cain continues to be stubbornly impenitent in his exile. Verse 13, in our passage, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We see Cain being driven away. And it's interesting, the the, the, the turn of a phrase in a way here. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. If you look in your reference Bible there, Nod means wandering. It's a really interesting phrase to think about. He settles in the land of wandering. He's a fugitive, a wanderer. But his, his place of existence is one of wandering, of one of, being away, being banished. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, J.R. Tolkien's wonderful trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, at the end of one of the movies, as the movie ends and the credits play, Gollum's song, Gollum's theme is played. Listen to the words. Where once was light now darkness falls. Where once was love, love is no more. These tears we cry are falling rain for all the lies we've told, the hurt, the blame. And we will weep to be so alone. We are lost. We can never go home. So in the end, now we say goodbye these, tre- these tears you cry have come too late, take back the lies, the hurt, the blame, and you will weep when you face the end alone. You are lost, you can never go home. You are lost, you can never go home. Those lyrics could easily be sung of Cain or anyone who is resisted the grace of God, the mercy of God, and is still left to be wandering in the world alone. Though deserving God's wrath for shedding innocent blood, by grace Cain was marked for protection rather than immediate execution. Far greater grace is glimpsed for us than just a mark. Far greater grace is glimpsed at the cross, where though perfectly righteous, Christ was made a curse to rescue the guilty. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Bearing our sin, though blameless, Christ suffered the wrath of the Father so we could be brought home. As Jesus cries out in Matthew 27, 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Praise God that Christ took our exile that we might have access to the Father. The blood Jesus shed to atone for our sins speaks eternal redemption from the curse as Hebrews ten nineteen says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In Christ, the God-forsaken wandering ceases for those who place faith in the Lamb of God who died to give us life. John 12, 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much Fruit. Christ is that wheat that was put up in the put put in the earth and died and has borne much fruit. Therefore, we can go with boldness into God's throne room. We can have access again to the Father, praising Christ who bore our curse to welcome us home as beloved and redeemed children. You see, our sermon, we've had a question, we've had a curse, and we've had a consequence. And those things, those three things, are all revealed to us in our blessed Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus questioned from the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took the curse that belonged to us. Jesus bore our consequence. He died bearing the full wrath of God. But Jesus, you see, was not Cain. Cain was guilty, but Jesus was innocent. Cain was a mere human, but Jesus was God and human. Because he was human, he could die. Because he was God, he raised again because he took the curse outside the camp, because he died for our sins, because he took our consequence, we can go home. And in a profoundly amazing way, Christ's blood still speaks. Abel's blood cries out to the the father and says, guilty. Guilty. This man is guilty. Christ's blood cries out to the Father and says, this one is clean. This one is clean. Listen. Listen, God's own Son died for you that you may live, that you may not be banished and an exile, a fugitive, and a wanderer. And because his blood still speaks and cleanses you, you may come home. You may come home. Don't settle, friend. Don't settle in the land of wandering. Come home. Come home today. And know the love of your Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, it is a a great grace that you give us your word. And we have these true histories. Lord, these are not just stories that we're reading. They're not myths. They're not fables. They're not morality tales. We believe by faith. We know that this is real history. And what a history it is. Lord, we've been warned today as we read your word that You are not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. We see the effects and the evidence of sin. As Adam sinned, so did his son, Cain. And sin infected the entire human race. It's infected us us as well. But there is hope for us, we see, because of your blessed son, Jesus Christ. We pray that even to... Even today, if there are those who are in the sound of my voice who are hearing this message, that they will not be like Cain. They won't try to pull the wool over your eyes, O God. But they will say, yes, yes, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And I need your grace and mercy in my life even now. Let us pray that even now, that would be the prayer of any is yet to put their hope and trust in you lord for those of us who have chosen you and walked with you and you've chosen us over these many years we still struggle help us lord because we are growing in our sanctification lord help us to be quick to come to the foot of the cross help us to run to you every day to cry out to you again and again for mercy Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for the great work you did on the cross for our behalf. We thank you that your blood is the most powerful agent in the entire world. It will never stop working. We're so thankful. Lord, we commit this time to you now and pray this in your son's name. Amen.